Joining us in just a couple minutes, two or three minutes, is uh, former uh, Orioles minor league roving instructor, pitching instructor Rick Peterson, who also was big league pitching coach for the Oakland A's, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, and the New York Mets three times. And has a real good uh, handle on what's going on in the ever-changing evolution of uh, the way pitching is evaluated and uh, what it takes to get to the big league level and things of that nature and what you got to do. So from that standpoint, uh, he's always interesting to talk to. Yes, he is. Um, Rick Peterson also co-authored a book called, I think it's called, I want to double check, it's been a while since we've had him on, Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a book on the psychology of performance. The foreword is by Billy Bean. Uh, and it was written by Rick Peterson and Judd Hoekstra, and he just won some award over, I think it was in in Germany, was it? Um, How to be your best when it matters most. And here's a quote from Michael Lewis, who wrote uh, Moneyball, right? Right. When I was working on Moneyball and talking with Rick, it was clear that his coaching ability to maximize performance under pressure was extraordinary. I had the distinct thought he should write a book. Well, he has, and now. he did. <laughs> I wonder if Mike. I wonder if Michael paid for his book. Well, but the title of that book is is tells you everything you need to know about you know everything he puts into watching pitchers and developing pitchers and the mindset you have to have. And the mindset being the key right. word there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the mindset you have to have to succeed, to not just to get to this level, but to succeed at this level. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any any young pitcher who, who has aspirations of pitching in the major leagues uh, would do themselves pretty well to talk to Rick Peterson. No question about it. No question about it. And uh, Rick, a uh, long time in this game. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about the difference in the leagues a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, with pitchers. Uh, we, we saw Wade Miley and we saw Kevin Gosman do exceptionally well in the National League uh, versus how they did in the American League with the Baltimore Orioles. Well, and I, but you know what? With, with Gosman, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, getting somewhere else, change of scenery, being back with some of the people he had relationships with here in Baltimore before they yeah, left. Yeah. Uh, but Wade Miley, if you look at his career and the numbers between the American League and the National League, it's like, like night and day. Yeah, it it's really crazy. Is. Joining us right now is former big league pitching coach and now author and uh, most recently Orioles roving minor league instructor uh, from about 2013 to 17. I believe it was Rick Peterson joins us. Rick, did I get the years right with the Orioles? Twelve to sixteen. Twelve to sixteen. All right. Yeah, the, the years the years we were winning. That's. <laughs> I like how you reminded us of that. Hey, Rick, I talked to you the other day to to book you to be on the show. The book Crunch Time: How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. You guys, uh, you and your co-author Judd Hoekstra, just received some type of tremendous award. Where was it in Germany? Yeah, it's called the Get Abstract International Book Award. It's one of the top book awards that, that's given out to, to, to books. So over 10,000, they review, they, they take categories. So in the business leadership category of over 10,000 books, they pick two books, you know, based on the content and the presentation. And we were fortunate to win that award. So we just got back from Germany not too long ago. 
which is really exciting. Congrats, congratulations on that. I noticed since the last time I looked, not only do you have the foreword from Billy Bean, but on the front cover of the book is a quote from Michael Lewis, the author of Moneyball and about five or six other great books. Uh, and Michael Lewis said of this book, when I was working on Moneyball and talking with Rick, it was clear that his coaching ability to maximize performance under pressure was extraordinary. I had the distinct thought he should write a book. That's pretty. How cool is that? That's pretty good praise from uh, Michael Lewis. Well, when Michael Lewis is writing Moneyball, he traveled with us during that season. Right. And I had I had the privilege of sitting next to Michael Lewis on the team bus for over six months. You know, as we went from the ballpark to the airport to the hotel, and then back from the ballpark to the airport and back, you know, back to Oakland. Yeah, and we had we would have these long in depth conversations about about the so because basically the Moneyball story was really about reframing a pressure situation. We had just won 102 games, and we lost Jason Giambi, MVP, Johnny Damon, All Star center fielder, and Jason Isernhaus, an All Star closer. They, they all left. Uh, you know, Jason went to the Yankees. Johnny went to the, the Red Sox, and Izzy went to the Cardinals. And we had no money to replace him. I mean, that was really crunch time. And it's like, all right, how are we going to compete like this? And and that was really the the inception of Moneyball. And when you look at, you know, we were talking the other day, and, you know, when you look at all this bullpenning, and bullpenning is all centered around a starting pitcher's ability to go through the, the, middle, the middle of the lineup, especially for the third time. You know, we were looking at all that data back, back in the early 2000s. And when you take – so what you didn't hear this year, which you've heard, you've heard forever in, in most recent time, like in the last like two decades in baseball, you didn't hear anything anybody talk about pitch counts this year, did you? No. Very, very little. Very little. And they, right. did, and they didn't talk about pitch counts because back during the Moneyball era, we started looking at our starting pitchers and then the, the opposing starting pitchers against us and how well they actually did the batting average and slugging percentage against that against the pitcher, the starting pitcher, the first time through the lineup, the second time and the third time through. There's almost no there's the premier guys, the guys that are in the Cy Young conversation, yeah. those are the guys whose batting average and slugging percentage is still at a at a low as they go the third time through the lineup. Everybody else it, it skyrockets it's up to 100, 150 points batting average and slugging percentage off the charts. I mean, we looked at that back in the day. And, you know, but, but that's why when people would talk about, like, I don't know why they don't do these pitches, you know, I don't know, everybody's talking about 100 pitches, 100 pitches. Go look at the batting average when they get around 100 pitches. That's the third time through the middle of the lineup, 90 mm-hmm. to 100 pitches. And, 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 and that's why bullpenning, bullpenning, you know, you know, really started that way because they wanted to say, let's get a reliever to go through the middle of that lineup for the first time. And then that way, our starting pitcher, when he started counting outs, 27 outs, our starting pitcher, if he could take us through, like, say, like, let's say one guy got on base or, 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 you know, two guys got on base that first inning or nobody for that matter, the starting pitcher now, if you start running those numbers, if he takes you, say, through, through the number five in the order and he comes back around to the number four, that's nine outs. Right. He does it the second time. So by the time he gets through, you know, he, he's, he's at the top of the order 
and 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 that now he didn't he only had to go through the middle of the lineup twice to get somewhere around 18 outs you know between 15 and 18 outs you know so it really shifted the whole paradigm that's why the whole bullpenning you know, totally made sense. And then he didn't hear anybody talk about pitch counts this year. Nobody yeah. cried about pitch counts. Why are they taking him out? They took him out before they ever got to the third time through the lineup. It's fa- it's fascinating how refined it's gotten because the first manager that I really remember that seemed to be a step ahead on all of this, but it wasn't done out of the uh, out of the pitch counts or, or or something like that. Was Tony Larusa in the late eighties? Uh, but but it was almost done. Uh, at least we, as the public, observed it being done more. That he had Rick Cunningham the pitch against the lefty, and he had a righty, and then and then he brought in the the ace closer Eckersley. But it was almost batter by batter. But it didn't seem back then. And this is going back now, twenty eight, twenty nine years ago. It didn't seem to be for the same reasons it's done today. But it probably was. You're absolutely right, and, and Tony, you know Tony. Tony left Oakland um, to go to the Cardinals, right? And that's when Art Howe came in, and then I came in with Art Howe, you know, short, short, shortly after that. But Tony, and, and in fact, you know, indirectly, one of my major mentors was was Dave Duncan because Dave, Dave had, you know, there was a whole cabinet full of blank charts that he used. That he so it was just like I looked at the blank chart saying okay I, I can fill in a chart now I know what he I, I, you know that was the criteria that he looked at you know as he was as he was you know taking his pitchers through you know teaching them how to flip the lineup over for the third time mm-hmm. and, and, and and the real signature of Dave Duncan was take take you know take your 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 starting pitchers. I mean, I remember talking to Joel Panero because Joel, Joel was in Seattle right. at the beginning of his career. Joel, Joel was a four seam fastball, big overhand curveball, you know, nice change up, a little slider. And I said, geez, he went to the Cardinals. Like what, what did Tony do? Or what did Dunk do? He said, well, he took me from the, from the third base side of the rubber. He moved me over on the first base side of the rubber. He goes, here's a two seamer, you know, let's learn how to sink this. And we're throwing ground balls. I mean, so, what you looked at over Dave Duncan and Tony LaRusso's staffs over all those years, what made them so good? They led the league every year in ground ball fly ball ratio. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you take a look at, you know, sabermetrically going back a couple of years ago, the top ranked number one pitch in all of baseball. So if you took a look at Cooper's slider or Kershaw's curveball, the number one pitch was Zach Britton's fastball. And Zach Britton pitched over 60 some innings that year. It was what that was in 2016 when the, when the O's went to the playoffs um, or the one game, the one game uh, wild card against Toronto. Zach Britton that year was 60 some innings pitched, had 15. Think about that. 15. 15 is is what? That's that's uh, that's five innings. He had five of those innings that he gave that he got an out by a fly ball. Mm-hmm. Everything else was a grounder or or a swing and miss, and 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 that's why. You know, when going back, if you look at like Mulder, Hudson, Zito, we Hudson was a, was already a two seam guy. Zito, Zito, his he had a cut fastball, or his fastball cut had late cut. You know, so he wasn't a two seam guy. Mark Mulder, he could throw a four seamer and, and tail and ride it like a typical left hander at ninety three, ninety five, but he could also sink it at ninety one, ninety three. And I remember having long discussions with Billy Bean saying, "Okay, which direction?" 
you know, we, we need to decide what direction are we going to go in with Mark Mulder. Are we going to make him like a CC Sabathia or are we going to make him like a power Kenny Rogers? And so we went in that direction and let's, let's go power Kenny Rogers and Mark Mulder. He, 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 I think, I think for two or three years in a row, he, he led the league in complete games, Yeah, you know, because of the fact that, you know, he, and, and of those complete games, uh, I want to say like eight or nine of them were under a hundred pitches, you know, because he was just, he, he and Hudson were in the top three to five every year of ground ball fly ball ratio. Let me ask you this with the Tampa Bay Rays this year, we saw Kevin Cash win 91 games and they did it a lot and mostly through the year uh, by having a bullpen game, if you will. Now, early in the year, a lot of that was predicated on the fact that there were so many injuries to that starting rotation that that's what they decided to do. And it kind of caught on in some places. But how much of that do you think, could that become more of the norm as we go forward? It'll become the norm when you don't have dominant starting pitching. Right. Okay. They 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 did it out of necessity. They didn't have a choice. Yeah. And they were trying they were trying to figure out a way. You know, basically what it comes down to, there's there's somewhere around fourteen hundred and fifty to fourteen hundred and seventy uh, innings pitched every year. You know, so so you take a look at okay, how are we going to cover these fourteen hundred and fifty seventy innings in that range with this with the with the pitching staff that we have. And and I want to say they had what somewhere around 600 plus innings out of their bullpen this year. I don't know if can you look at those numbers. I'll take. You know, I'll try and I'll try and find them. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to say that they had that, and and we and we did the same thing. We did the same thing in 2006 with, with you know with um, you know with the Mets. We we missed the World Series. You know by seventh game we had three two two outs bases loaded and a three two count down two runs. And Carlos Beltran was up, and Wainwright was pitching. And you know, I mean, so we came down, you know, to that last pitch where it's like, you know, the last. I mean, there's oftentimes like you don't know when the last pitch is coming. It could come up multiple times, but when you come down to the bottom of the ninth inning, three, two, two outs, bases loaded, you realize that this is the last pitch, <laughs> unless it's a foul ball. You know? <laughs> this is going to be potentially the last pitch of the game, and. You know, to really look back and, and think about the fact that, you know, we had to go through that because we, we lost Pedro Martinez, we lost El Duque, you know, throughout the course of the season. And, and we lost El Duque the day before he's going to start the first game of the, the playoffs against the Cardinals. I mean, against the, the Dodgers. We ended up sweeping the Dodgers three straight games. But we went into the postseason with, with basically Steve Traxel and Tom Glavin. Pedro was out, you know, El Duque was out. And we were trying to just figure out a way to piece together, you know, piece together this game. And, you know, so when it comes down to it, you know, you could do that in the postseason, you know, especially especially if you have a certain type of bullpen. And I think primarily if you have more ground ball type pitchers, because what happens with the and, and this is what you saw happen, in my opinion, a little bit with Milwaukee. Milwaukee was trying to do this all year long. But but their their back end bullpen they were all they were all swing and miss strikeout pitchers like Josh Hader, right? You know, for example, who ended up being reliever of the year in the National League. So when you do it with 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 strikeouts, you're you're never getting two for one outs. You're never getting a ground ball double play. 
because you're not you're getting because most of the dominant pitchers now they're fly ball strikeout guys, you know. So now you know you're going to extend those guys even more because their pitch counts are going to be higher because they're striking out people, you know, for the obvious reasons. That's why their pitch count would be higher, you know. So if you can get at least one or two ground ball dominant guys, which is what we had in our bullpen, we had Chad Bradford, who he was a five to one ground ball right. ground ball fly ball. You know, so he was constantly getting ground ball double plays, and, and he he would lead he would lead the league just about every year, be at the top of the league for relievers of getting ground ball double plays. And so you're not going to extend those guys, and I, and and I think what happened with Milwaukee to a degree, and you know you you saw it a couple times in the last last few years um, when when people are going to their bullpen so early, those strikeout guys they run out of gas. You know it's hard to do that. You know, when you go through three rounds of playoffs. We're talking with Rick Peterson, Rick, former big league pitching coach. Rick, I can't do the math real quick here right now, but you were right on the money. The Rays had 1,448 innings pitched. It looks like their starting pitchers pitched about 650 to 700 innings, roughly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So they they had roughly about forty five percent of their their innings by their starters, right, and fifty five percent by their relievers. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's hard to sustain that, you know, it, it, and 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 you also have to have a very flexible roster in order to do that, you know. So if you use a guy for for two or three or four innings, you send him back to the minor leagues and bring in somebody, so you're fully loaded. So if you have a veteran staff that are out of options, you know, you you lose that flexibility in your roster. I wanted to touch on something. Uh, it, this may be a little simplistic to you, but a guy like Wade Miley, there have been some pretty smart baseball people like Jerry Depoto, um, uh, Ben Charrington, Dan Duquette, and then again da- David Stearns out in Milwaukee that see something in him. Uh, the one thing I see that's kind of interesting is that he went to the National League for the first time since he was with the Diamondbacks after pitching for the Red Sox, Seattle, and the Orioles. Is it simple enough to say that the National League is where pitchers should try to sign as free agents if they have that opportunity? Because if you look at his numbers between both leagues, I mean, it's like night and day. Right. Right. There's no question about it. I mean, when you take a look at – I mean, again, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but take a look at how many sack bunts that – Sacrifice bunts that they were in the, in the American League this year. Look at the, the right. sack bunts in the National League. Right. You know, it's just it's just off the charts. I mean, so you know the lineups are constructed so, so, so differently, and and Wade Miley that that style of pitching, you know, it really matches up against you know more of a National League type team. I mean, that's why, you know, when we were with the Mets, you know, our primary targets were starting pitchers if we could get them, starting pitchers that were in that were in the American League. And primarily, if you could get somebody that was in the American League East, because coming from the American League East into the National League, you know, it, it, it's night and day different. And, and especially if you can, you know, make sure in your interleague play, you know, that you that you, you have those guys pitch at home if you're a National League team, you know, because it just matches up. And, and there's no question about it. Wade Miley is one of those guys. He's, a, he's an outlier, you know, when, when you look at that, for sure. We're talking with Rick Peterson. Rick, I want to. We've got you about three or four more minutes. I just wanted to touch on again the book Crunch Time: How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. 
your thoughts during this postseason with two of the great pitchers over the last decade, David Price and Clayton Kershaw, the the troubles they've had in postseason, especially David Price, and how David Price stepped up this postseason, uh, and when it mattered most in crunch time, he was his very best. No question about it. And if you listen to if you listen to his comments and his interviews, he really didn't have it. He couldn't explain why he didn't pitch well in the past in the mm-hmm. postseason. But when he did pitch well, he really came out and basically he basically was saying that you know mentally, I just made too big a deal of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just I just never really pitched my game. You know, I, I remember like talking to. Um, Pat Henkin, you, you know, years ago when Pat came off the Cy Young Award when I was with uh, when I was with Toronto, and you know we, we were talking about pitching in the World Series and you know cut the end of postseason, you know talking to Glavin the same way, Greg Maddox the same way. You look at their numbers; they did not pitch well at the be- in the beginning of their career in the postseason, and all three of them basically said, you know, I, I needed to diminish this like back to like a little league game. Like really, just go out and enjoy this, and just go out and enjoy pitching, and just be normal. You know, Tom Glavin talked, or uh, Pat Henkin talked about the fact that, in fact, in the World Series, he they pitched against the Phillies, and he said if you didn't pitch well against the Phillies in spring training because the need in the Clearwater, they played each other so many times. Right. In order to make the team as a rookie, you have to pitch well against the Phillies in spring training because that's who you pitched against all the time. Right. Because you, know, you played so many games against. And he said, "I really brought the spring. I really brought the World Series. I brought my mind in the World Series back to spring training, and I wanted to make it a spring training game because I knew I had to pitch well in spring training in order to make the team. You know, when I when I was a rookie, you know, and I think the same thing happened to to David Price. It, when you take a look at his postseason failures, the stuff's the same." Right. This is the same thing with Kershaw. The stuff isn't any different. It's not like their their velocity dropped off five miles an hour. You know, where they don't have the secondary pitches. You know, and Price, I think, really just came down to the point where he he finally just executed a game plan. And you hear his comments, and it was all about literally pushing the pause button and saying, "What's my opportunity here?" In, 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 in reframing a pressure situation from a threat to an opportunity. And he, and in his mind, he was finally able to do that. He finally take a, took a look at this and said, this is an opportunity to win a World Series with, I'm, I'm on one of the all, you know, one of the teams that's, you know, potentially one of the all time great teams in the history of baseball. And you know, all I have to do is just go out there and just execute my game, you know, not do anything more than what I normally do when I do well. You know, like I do during the season, and he was able to overcome that. And, and you could just tell in his in his final comments when he said, "I hold the Trump card now." He finally realized that, yeah, that's that's right. And I remember going back years ago with Roberto Hernandez, and this story is in the book when Roberto went through a really tough time, blowing all these saves. And it was like, you know, Berg. I asked him, like, Berg, what, what are you thinking when you're coming out of the bullpen? Oh God, I just hope if I could just like get the first pitch over for a strike, if I just hope I can get the first guy out. And I said, Bert, I said, because he used to play cards. He was a good, he played poker and he was a good, pretty good card, card player. And I said, you're a pretty good card player, right? And he goes, yeah, you know, I, I, I end up winning every year, you know, on, on the plane, you know, he ends up, you know, coming up ahead. And I said, you know what, you know, you're, you got a full house and you're betting deuces. I said, right. Annie up, let's go. That's your hand. And that became his phrase. Annie up was his, mm-hmm. was the phrase that helped him reframe this. And he said, when I come into the game, 
you know, I got a full house here. I got three aces and two kings. You know, I said, bet, bet your hand. Yeah. I said, you're coming in there betting, betting deuces like you're bluffing. And I said, you're one of the premier closers in the game at this point of your career. And, and it's all, and it's really all about the mind. And, and David Price was, was able to master his mind. And one of the things we talk about is your mind is your master and your body's your servant. Your body's going to follow wherever your mind takes it. Rick, let me ask you this before we let you go. Uh, and I think I know the answer to this question already, but, uh, since it seems as though wins don't matter anymore in this game for a pitcher, uh, mm-hmm. can I assume you're thinking Jacob DeGrom wins the Cy Young in the uh, National League? I say hands down, without question. I mean, when you take a look at the body of work of, of the innings and the numbers, and you, know, you take a look at the traditional statistics, and then you take a look at the, you know, the advanced sabermetric um, predictive analysis, I mean, he, he, he's off the charts without question. And, you know, I, the, the starting pitcher obviously cannot control the, the amount of runs scored, you know, by their offense. And, and to that point, when you look at run differential, which is why David, that, that's why DeGrom's going to win it because his run differential when he pitched for his team as opposed to the other team was, was probably like, you know, maybe a minus. It's probably a minus. You know, the, the, the opposing team, if they scored one or two runs, that was more than the Mets scored. But if you take a look at run differential, that every team that was in the postseason were all the top teams of run differential. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you're really looking at your team, talking to fans, and you look at like, like for example, the Mets fans were all excited when the team was 12 and one, and well, they were 12 and one to start the season. Everybody's like, "Wow, are we this good?" Well, they had six. Half their wins, six out of the 12 wins to start the season, they came from behind after the seventh inning. Take a look at how many the, the teams that go to the postseason, how many how many times they blow a lead if they have a lead after seven innings. They're probably not six. They yeah. probably don't even get to six. Yeah. And the Mets have to win. You know, so when you take a look at, if you remember a few years ago, several years ago, I think when Davy Johnson was still with the with the Nats, you know, the Nats came into the All Star break like like one game up in the division. And everybody was all excited. God, can the Nats do this? They had a run differential of like a minus five. No, you can't do this. You're not going to do this with a minus five run differential. <laughs> you know, you're beating the odds right now. But over time, it's just not going to happen. And, and that's why Jacob, Jacob DeGrom is a Cy Young Award winner, without question, because the runs he gave up, you know, have nothing to do with the runs his team is scoring. And it's even t- tougher to pitch in those kind of games when your team is not scoring. Rick Peterson, we really appreciate the time as always. It's always enlightening to talk to you. The book again is Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. We'll talk to you shortly. All right, Rick? You got it. You can check out rickpetersoncoaching.com. Rickpetersoncoaching.com. Coaching.com. All right. All right, guys. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. You got it. All right. Be well. All right. Thank you.